appreciate that. It, uh, you know, we came here nine years ago, and uh, it was not long after we got here, as Martha said, that Bobby was sick and rushed her to the hospital, and then Danny was sick, and then people started dying, and uh, yeah, we were. I tell all our secrets, but uh, you know, we've we've had ups and downs over the years. But uh, you know we're we're blessed to be here, and no place we would rather be. And uh, we love each of you, and thankful that we're uh, pastor and uh, friend as well. You know, I consider all of you to be friends, and you know that that's a good thing. Uh, I've been in churches, and maybe you have too, where. Not everybody was friends, <laughs> and uh, there was a- animosity, and just it, it, as soon as church was over, everybody darted out the door. Uh, here, uh, though, because we like each other, we, we hang around and hug necks and, and talk, and uh, that's a good thing. Uh, it's important that uh, church love uh, one another, and... Uh, by the way, that's part of what, uh, on Sunday night, I'm starting to preach through 1 Corinthians. Uh, and that's part of what uh, that letter was about. And so I encourage you to come and join us tonight and on Sunday nights. We always have a good good time. And uh, so, anyway. But this morning, uh, I titled this morning's message, Who Invited Her? Uh, and maybe you uh, have had a, you've done something. Uh, you made a decision or you, uh, you, know, you may have invited somebody to a party. And then when they got there, you said, what on earth was I thinking? <laughs> and uh, you realize that it wasn't, you know, we build things up in our mind and we, we, we think things are just going to be uh, grand and super and things don't always work out that way. Uh, and that certainly was uh, the case in Abraham and Sarah's life in the chapter we're going to look at today, chapter 16 of the book of Genesis. If you'll turn there with me, verse 1 says, Now Sarah, uh, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And he had an, she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah and Abram, uh, see now, uh, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go in uh, to my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. And Sarah, uh, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the uh, Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, uh, Abram, to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarah said to Abram, My uh, wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abraham said to Sarah, Indeed, your maid is your hand to do to her her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord, verse 7, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, uh, by the spring on the way to Shur. 
And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where uh, have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for a multitude, or shall they, they shall be counted. Uh, and the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. And he shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of uh, all of his brethren. And so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, I have also uh, here seen him who sees me. Therefore, the well uh, called Bir Lahoi Roy Observe it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called his na- called uh, named his son, who Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. What a interesting and perplexing story. Uh, several times in uh, this passage. It's pointed out that Sarah was Abram's wife and Abram was uh, Sarah's husband. So that, and the point of that is that the promise that God had given to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12 and reminded him of again in chapter 15 was to be fulfilled between Abraham and Sarah. But it was taking a long time. And so Sarah had the bright idea, let's help God out. And the results were disastrous. It it, it didn't turn out well, as it does not most of the time when we say, well, we know God wants us to do this, but there's a faster way. Let's do it the the fast and expedient way. And usually it blows up. Uh, in our faith, it doesn't work out like we thought uh, that it would. Uh, and so, uh, remember, they had been down to Egypt um, because of a famine. Now they were back uh, in the land of Canaan. And when they left, Abraham was given uh, jewels and you know silver and gold. But he was also given uh, some handmaidens. Uh, one of them was Hagar. Uh, and to us, in our 2016 uh, world that sounds a little creepy or a little not exactly right, but in this culture, that was perfectly acceptable and normal. Uh, so, it, and uh, in fact, it was custom then, and they've found some uh, Egyptian laws written down, you know, from this time. Uh, and it was part of the culture and part of law that if uh, a wife could not have children that one of the servants in the house could bear a child for them. And because that hand servant and the maid servant belonged to that couple, the child was the couple's uh, and would be received and would be seen as that child, as that, uh, those parents' child. So what's the big deal? 
Well, the big deal is that's not what God's plan was. It was man's... And we can understand it. We say, well, she was just trying to help God out. That was good. Well, her motive may have been sort of good. But the way she went about it and what she did was not good. And it's a good reminder to us that, you know, we need to remember that when the Lord tells us to do something, we need to do it His way, not our way. Not the way that makes sense to us, but the way that He has directed and told us to do. And so, but they went through with this plan. Hagar conceives, and obviously there's animosity and jealousy between Sarah and Hagar, uh, as you can well expect. Uh, so, you know, and it's interesting to me, the book of Genesis, as we look through these various accounts of history, it's a lot like days of our lives, isn't it? It's a soap opera. Michael, you've got all kinds of uh, crazy stuff going on with families and things. Um, and a reminder to us that God's word can be trusted, and we know that it's true because it doesn't hide the, the ugly parts. Um, and, you know, it. by the way, it gives us the ugly parts to remind us you don't want to repeat those same mistakes. You want to learn from their lessons so you don't have to repeat it. Um, but, you know, if, you, if somebody was writing a book uh, that they wanted to have an agenda, they would have left out all the bad stuff. Well, the Bible's chock full of people doing some bad stuff. Uh, and yet God works through them, gives grace, and brings redemption if people will turn to him. And we serve that same God today. And so the animosity grew and grew and grew. And so... Uh, Hagar decides, I'm going back home to Egypt. And she's well on her way when the angel of the Lord shows up. This is the first time we find the angel of the Lord uh, in the Bible. Uh, and most all of the time when the angel of the Lord appears, it is a pre-New Testament earthly appearance of Christ. It's God that shows up as the angel of of the Lord. So God shows up and he says, Hey, Hagar, where are you going? Where are you coming from? Where are you going? Where are you heading? Just like he asked in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, Hey, Adam, Eve, where are you? He didn't ask because he didn't know where he was. He wanted Abraham to realize that, uh oh, uh, God knows what's up. And God did knew where Hagar was heading and why she was heading there. Uh, and he gives her the direction, I want you to go back. And she does. But before she does, she calls the place, and she builds an altar there, and she calls the well that's there uh, the place of the God who sees. And we learn a lot in the Bible, about the names of God. And boy, did this Egyptian woman, and I think that's part of the amazing part of the story, is it's not a, a Hebrew that names God the God who sees. It's an Egyptian woman. It's someone that the Jews considered a heathen. And you can chew on that a little bit and let that meld around. But I think that's very interesting. And God knew all about her. 
And I tell you that if God knows all about Hagar and Sarah and their Abraham and their situation and what they've done, you better believe God knows all about you and your situation as well. And just as God had some direction and some advice for Hagar, God has some direction for us. But the thing is, is that Hagar chose to listen to God's voice. She did what God told her. Even though it was difficult, do you think it was hard for her to go back to that situation? It was so rough that she left. It didn't get any better just because she voluntarily decided to come home. That it probably got worse. And yet that's what God had told her to do. And God said, listen, I am going to make sure that you're taken care of. And your offspring will, out of this child, out of Ishmael, will come a great nation. And so I want to see there's, that today we still serve a God who sees. And he sees you and he sees me and he sees all that's going on in the world. But I want us to ask a question this morning. We know God sees, but is God happy with what he sees? Is God happy with what he sees when he looks at your life and at my life and at our church and at our world? Some things that God sees uh, is what I want to talk about briefly this morning. The first is this, that sometimes God sees our rebellion. Though many of us would probably argue, listen, Sarah didn't rebel against God. They were just trying to help him out. But it was rebellion. God said, Abraham, you and Sarah are going to conceive a son. And out of that son, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Well, it took a long time. From man's perspective. Remember, the Bible says a day is as a thousand years for the Lord. In other words, he's not bound by time. Time doesn't, you know, he's not constrained by time. But, so Sarah, and, and, you know, was wrong. But can I tell you, Abram was even more wrong because he listened to it. He was the one who heard God's promise and then told Sarah what the Lord had said. And, if you realize that he just, he knew what God had told him. And he knew better. He knew, you know, from, from the very beginning, marriage was intended for one man and one woman for one lifetime. Abraham knew that. And yet he made the choice. Now, Sarah was complicit in it, which makes it all the much worse. But before we go pointing fingers and hanging our head and casting glances at Hagar and Ishmael and uh, Sarah and Abraham, we better take stock at ourselves too. Because there are certainly times in all of our lives when we've rebelled against God. There have been times when we've lived before we met Christ that we were just out living in sin, having a grand old time. Deserving to spend eternity in hell because we've sinned and broken the law of God. 
And yet through his mercy and grace, God sent Christ to die on the cross of Calvary to pay my sin debt and your sin debt and the sin debt of all the whosoever's in the world. That whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a wonderful truth and a wonderful reminder to us. But you see, even after we're saved, we don't just all of a sudden become holy robots. We still, on occasion, if we were honest with ourselves more than a few occasions, rebel against the Lord. We know what the Lord wants us to do most of the time. It's not a great mystery. Most of the time, He makes it pretty clear through His Word or through His Spirit or through the preaching of His Word or something we hear in Sunday school. or You know, God uses all kinds of things to, to get our attention and to direct us. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us as a child of God. And one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to light up God's path to us. And so... Uh, and in fact, the James reminds, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask and God will give it to him. And so if we don't know what to do, all we have to do is ask and God will tell us. So God does most of the time does not speak to us in some kind of cryptic code. Most of the time, his directions are pretty clear. The problem is, most of the time when God tells us to do something, it goes against our human natural wants and leanings. And so sometimes we decide, well, I know I shouldn't do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I'll ask God to forgive me. By the way, that's the wrong attitude to have. But we we do, we rebel. But I want you to remember that in the New Testament, James says that rebellion against God even includes knowing to do good and not doing it. So sin and rebellion against God is not just doing bad stuff that we know better than to do. It's not doing good things that we do know to do. And that can get us into just as much trouble as doing the bad stuff. And so God does direct us. He sees our rebellious heart and it breaks his heart. But those of you that have children or grandchildren that are have wandered a, a time from the Lord, it pains you. It grieves your heart when they do bad things. It grieves your heart, doesn't it, when you get a note from the principal and they bring, and say, listen, little Johnny, um, you know, started a fight and he's going to be suspended from school. It breaks your heart. And it breaks uh, mother's heart and it even makes grandparents' hearts even worse, I think, when you have to discipline Those sweet little angels. But God sees our rebellion. God knows where we're at. You see, God knows where you are with him today. It may seem, well, I'm in church. Everything between me and God, hunky-dory. God knows where you stand. And you can fool the preacher. You can fool church folks. But you cannot fake out God. He knows your rebellion. Even though it looks like maybe on the outside you're doing something good, God knows where you stand. But God also, secondly, sometimes God sees our reasonings. 
You see, the beginning of the story, I put it second because I wanted us to emphasize that this whole episode is an instance of rebellion against God. And yet God knows our reason. And so Sarah, as I've already mentioned, they, they thought they were doing good. They reasoned it out and said, eh, we need to help God out. And can I tell you that we as human beings do a very good job of reasoning our sin. You say, well, I have to do it because it's for the greater good. Or, well, I, I know it's not right to steal, but I, I need this thing. And so I'm just going to go ahead and take it and Say, well, thank you, God, for giving it to me. Well, that's not the way it's supposed to work out. God's word, that one of the Ten Commandments, don't steal. But God knows our reason. He knows how the human heart and the human mind work. And can I tell you that one of the greatest lies that Satan ever came up with was, well, everybody else is doing it. And our culture certainly is bought in to that philosophy. Well, everybody else is doing it, so it must be okay. We see uh, people degraded on television. And and Jews, it it doesn't bother us because, well, it's just normal. No, it's not. We see on, on television, you know, our even our politicians uh, having affairs and doing all kinds of, of wicked things. And rather than calling them to account on it, we celebrate it. And there's something wrong with that. But we've been so desensitized in our culture that it doesn't bother us anymore. And we're in a dangerous spot as a child of God when sin does not bother Listen, you are going to sin on this earth, this side of heaven, probably. But can I tell you that when you do, it ought to eat you up inside. And when it doesn't, when you're desensitized to it, you are in a very, very dangerous place. And but the answer to that is not just saying, well, I guess we'll just give up. It's not saying, well, let's find a, a, a plan B. God, you know, God must have forgotten about us or fallen asleep or something, so let's, let's do something else to try to hurry things along. You see, God knows how the human mind thinks because he made it. And he knows the effect that sin has on our life. Because you see, the fall did not just affect our spiritual standing, it affected who we are as people. It affected our our natural inclinations and uh, our desires and hampers the image of God that is programmed within every single human being. God knows that we can reason sin and make it justified. But you know what? When God calls something sin, there's no justification for it. You can come up with a great excuse. Best one that maybe has ever been told in the entire world. And it won't matter to God. 
God said, listen, I don't care what your reason is. You knew better. And wrong is always wrong. And so that's an important lesson in our world today that we need to learn. As, you know, I teach online classes for, for Welch College. And it's been an interesting thing, you know, especially the younger students that I have. They'll write research papers. And there have been a few occasions where I've said, you know, that does not sound like this person's writing. And there's different programs that are available but uh, to see if things are in books or various things. But I just cut and paste it into Google. Google is a wonderful thing. And you know what I have found more than one time? Is that a student has copied something from a website or, or from a book and not given credit for it. And I'll ask them, and I say, well, it was on the Internet. It's okay to do that because it was, listen, no, it's not. <laughs> and so uh, God knows our reasoning, but he doesn't accept it. In fact, he shakes his head at it when he sees it. But then through all our rebellions and through all our reasons, God, sometimes God sees our redemptions. And this is the good news of the story. Hagar, this woman who was not part of the promise, was not uh, uh, a God worshiper, was not even a, a spiritual person probably. The, the Egyptians from the very beginning worshipped thousands and thousands of gods. We don't know whether she believed in Abraham and Sarah's God or not before this, but I can tell you something after chapter 16. I bet she most likely did because she saw him and spoke with him and, and received this great promise uh, from God Almighty. And she obeyed. You see, it's not hard for a lost person to disobey God because God doesn't have any authority over their life. But when God redeems a person, when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and forgive you of your sins, He becomes your Lord. And that means He has ownership of your life. And so He has the right to tell you to turn right when you want to go left. Hagar obeyed the voice of God. She listened. She had found redemption in God's eyes. She had said, listen, God accepts me. And so even though this family that I was given to and, and that I was supposed to be a servant in and, and the wife is angry because I had had her husband's child, I'm going to go back and live there. Even though, and God said, listen, you're going to have a son. It's a son inside of you. You're to call his name Ishmael. She went back and told Abraham that. Because notice it wasn't Hagar that named Ishmael. It was Abram that named Ishmael. But he named him Ishmael because Hagar said, listen, God showed up and he told me that you need to do this. So God knows, the point of all this is that God knows our shortcomings. He knows our failures. 
And the only place we can find redemption for those failures is through God himself. Because you see, God sees all of my sin, all of your sin, all the sin you've ever committed since you were a baby, and all the sin that you ever will commit until you leave this life, and yet he loves you anyway. Paul says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his love in this, that he died for us while we were yet sinners. You see, God didn't wait for us to say, well, I need to clean myself up first and then I'll come to God. He died for us before we were even on his radar screen. Or he was on ours. And so we find in Genesis 16 the story of God's marvelous redemption. Hagar was sad. Sarah was sad. I bet Abraham, you know, it's bad enough when you have one wife mad at you, but when you have two ladies mad at you, it it most likely is, you know, not good. Uh, It's part of the reason why, you know, it's good that we just have one wife because, listen, fellas, it's hard to handle one at a time, isn't it? And certainly wives couldn't handle more than one husband. Uh, And so... uh, And yet Abraham, they were all upset at this situation, and yet God brought glory and redemption through it. Was Ishmael the the promise of that seed that through this son all the nations of the world would be blessed? No. But God did remind and say that, listen, through Ishmael, a great sea, a great nation would be built. In other words, he would have a lot of offspring, a big family, that they would be well taken care of. There's some that uh, say that uh, Ishmael was the, the founder, if you will, of, of, of Islam. And Islam recognizes uh, that Ishmael was their, I guess, they say he was the first born. Of Abraham, he was the seed of promise, and so the, the the Muslim faith and those that believe that way really are the ones who are promised. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not say. In fact, it expressly says, "Hey, Abraham, this son that you're bearing, Ishmael, is not the seed of promise. But I'm going to bless him, and I'm going to bless his mother." Despite your foolishness, despite you doing what you weren't supposed to, I'm going to redeem your foolishness. And the book of Genesis goes on, records that Ishmael did go on have several children. He does not play a prominent role in the book of Genesis. But God, even through this most unlikely situation brought redemption. And can I tell you that if God can redeem this mess, God can redeem your mess too. I say, well, he wouldn't love me if he saw the the truth, if he knew what I really was like. Can I tell you what? He knows already. Even those things you think nobody knows about, God does know. All those temptations, maybe even things that you've not actually done, but just things you've thought about doing. God knows those as well. And God says, you know what? If you listen to me, 
If you'll follow my way, if you'll put aside your reasoning and your rebellion, you'll find my redemption is much sweeter than anything else. And so, what are we to take away from this? Well, I think what we take away from it is this. That we are not much different than Sarah and Abraham and Hagar. That we wander. That we rebel against God. And yet we must be reminded that even though we've strayed, God still loves us and desires for us to come back to Him. And that if we will turn back, he will take us. He welcomes us just as we are. But I want to remind you again, though he accepts us just as we are, he will not leave us just like we are. If we want God's redemption, it means we're going to have to change our ways. It means that we're going to have to acknowledge our sins. Not hide it, not sweep it under the rug, not pretend it didn't happen or doesn't exist. But face it, put it out in the open. And put it under the blood of Jesus. Because when it goes under the blood of Jesus, it really does disappear. And that's the only way we can find redemption. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your truth. God, we thank you that you are the God who sees. That you know all about us. And Lord, it's magnificent and wonderful to think that you know all about our shortcomings, all our failures. And yet you love us. And you say, come to me and I'll make you new. Lord, you see all of our problems. And you see all of our our struggles and all of our temptations. Lord, would you help us to surrender those things to you that we might find redemption? Would you help us to to say, Lord, I don't want to hold on to it anymore. I, I, I want you to have it. I want you to take care of it. I want you to bring something good as, as your word promises that you work all things together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. Lord, if there's someone here today that's never accepted You, they've never trusted, they've never found redemption, Lord, would You help them to be redeemed today? Would You help them to call out and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Come into my life and make me new. Lord, maybe there's one of your children here today, someone who is saved, but Lord, they've been rebelling. Oh Lord, they've been fighting you. They've been wandering in the wilderness, Lord. Lord, would you have them today to to find redemption in their story? I just simply say, Lord, I was foolish to wander away from you, but now I'm coming home. Lord, help us to remember the great story of redemption. Help us to walk in the redemption. Help us to share it with those that need it. Because, Lord, there's so many in our lives and in our world that need redemption from you. Lord, politicians can't do it. Government can't do it. Not even church can do it. Only you alone can bring redemption. 
Lord, do your work on our, in our world that only you can do. Help us to be your hands and feet as you do it. In Jesus' name. Stand together.